0: Aisha the la ilaha illallahu wa hdouna wa after reciting
1: the Teshahud Ta'os and Surah Al fatiha Hazrat Khalipzul Masih V, Ayyadullah al-Aziz stated, I was previously narrating accounts in the life of Hazrat Saad. Hazrat Sa'd participated in all the battles alongside the Holy Prophet ﷺ, including the battles of Badr, Uhud, Khandak, the Treaty of Hudaybiyah, the Battle of Khaybar and the conquest of Makkah. He was among the best archers from among the companions of the Holy Prophet ﷺ. About Hazrat Sa'ad, it is mentioned in a narration that during one of the battles in which the Messenger of Allah was also present, at one point nobody was left with the Messenger of Allah except Hazrat Talha and Hazrat Sa'ad. While describing the circumstances of departing for military campaigns with the Holy Prophet, Hazrat Sa'ad states, we would leave for a battle together with the Holy Prophet sallallahu alaihi and our condition would be such that we would not have anything available to eat except leaves of trees. Our condition was such that our excrement was like that of camels or goats. That is, it was very dry and not soft at all. In another narration, it is mentioned that he said, Our food in those days used to be the branches of a babool tree. Babool is a type of tree which has many thorny branches. Hazrat Saad anhu was the first person who shed blood in the way of Allah. He was also the first person to shoot an arrow in the cause of Allah. This incident is from the Battle of Hazrat Ubaidah bin Haris. Its details are as follows. An expedition took place during Rabi Laval of 2 Hijri which is called the Battle of Hazrat Ubaidah bin Haris. While mentioning this, Hazrat M. Bashir Ahmed Sahib has written in Khatm Khatman Nabiyin. I have previously narrated some parts of this incident, or perhaps all of it, but nonetheless, I will present it again here with reference to him. In the beginning of the month of Rabiul Awal, the Holy Prophet ﷺ dispatched a company of the Muhajireen, comprising of 70 men mounted on camels, in the leadership of a close relative. Ubaida bin Al Harith The objective of this campaign was to forestall the attacks of the Quraysh of Makkah. As such, when Ubaidah bin Al Harith and his companions covered some ground and arrived close to Thaniyatul Murrah, Thaniyatul Murrah is the name of a place situated between Makkah and Medina, which the Holy Prophet sallallahu alaihi passed through during his migration. they suddenly noticed that 200 armed young men had set up camp in the command of Ikrimah bin Abi Jahl. The two parties encountered one another and a few arrows were exchanged in a confrontation. However, this group of idolaters then stood down from further conflict due to the fear that the Muslims probably had hidden reinforcements at their disposal. And consequently, the Muslims did not pursue them. Albeit, two individuals from the army of the idolaters named Mikdad bin Amr and Utbah bin Ghazwan fled from the command of Ikram bin Abi Jahl and joined the Muslims. It is written that they set out with the Quraysh for this very purpose so that they could find an opportunity to join the Muslims. The reason being that they were Muslims at heart but could not migrate out of fear of the Quraysh due to their weaknesses. In Jumadi al-Ula, two Hijri, the Holy Prophet sallallahu alaihi assembled a party of eight muhajirin under the command of Hazrat Saad bin Abi Wakas radiallahu anhu and sent them to Kharrar to obtain intelligence about the Quraysh. Harar is an area in the Hijaz located near Juhfa. They reached there but did not confront the enemy. Then there is mention of Saria, Hazrat Abdullah bin Jahash, which took place in the end of Jamadi Al-Akhir to Hijri. Hazrat Sadr, who also took part in this battle. I have mentioned this incident before. Nevertheless, I shall narrate it briefly with reference to Seerat Khatman Nabiyyin. Upon observing these very threats, the Holy Prophet ﷺ decided that the movements of the Quraysh should be surveyed from a closer distance so that all the necessary intelligence with respect to them may be available on time and Medina was safeguarded from all kinds of sudden attacks. Hence, for this purpose, the Holy Prophet ﷺ assembled a party of eight Muhajireen. As an act of wisdom, the Holy Prophet ﷺ selected such men for this party who were from the various tribes of the Quraysh. so that it was easier to obtain intelligence with regards to the hidden conspiracies of the Quraysh. The Holy Prophet ﷺ appointed his paternal cousin Abdullah bin Jahash as the commander of this party. Upon ordering this Syria, the Holy Prophet ﷺ did not even inform the commander of this party as to where he was being sent and for what purpose. Rather, upon their departure, the Holy Prophet ﷺ handed him a sealed letter and said that this letter contains necessary instructions for you when you cover a distance of two days' travel from Medina. Open the letter and act in accordance with the stipulated instructions. When they had journeyed a distance of two days from Medina, Abdullah opened the instructions of the Holy Prophet ﷺ which were as follows. Go forth to the valley of Nakhla between Mecca and Taif and obtain information on the Quraysh and return with news therefrom. At the bottom of this letter, the Holy Prophet ﷺ had written that after the objective of this mission became known, if anyone from among the companions was hesitant in accompanying this party and desired to return, then permission would be granted to do so. Abdullah read out this guidance to his companions who unanimously affirmed that we happily present ourselves for this service? None of us shall return. Then this party proceeded to Nakhla. Saad bin Abi Waqas and Utbah bin Ghazwan lost their camels en route and were separated from their companions. Despite their best efforts, they were unable to relocate their companions. The party of eight was now left with only six people. (laughs) Hazrat Mirza Bashir Ahmed Sahib has mentioned an Orientalist who has stated this narration and attempted to create doubt. He writes regarding Hazrat Sa'd bin Abi Bukas and his companion. Saad bin Abi Waqas and Utba intentionally let their camels loose and used this as an excuse to remain behind. Each and every life event of these devotees of Islam who were ready to sacrifice their lives is a testimony to their valour and devotion. One of them was martyred at the hands of the disbelievers in the campaign of Bir Mauna while the other distinctly participated in many dangerous battles and ultimately became the victor of Iraq. Therefore, to doubt the sincerity of such people, especially when the doubt is founded on self-concocted notions, is the work of Mr. Margolius alone. It is ironic that in his book, Mr. Margolius claims that he has written this book being completely free from prejudice. In any case, this small community reached Nakhla and became engaged in their work. With the thought of concealing their classified mission, some of them shaved their heads so that the travellers etc. would not be alarmed in any way and so that they wouldn't consider them as being such people who had come with the intention of Umrah. However, they had only just arrived there when suddenly a small caravan of the Quraysh also happened to arrive which was travelling from Taif to Mecca and both parties encountered each other. The situation was such that despite their desire not to And even though it was against their own will and the instructions of the Holy Prophet sallallahu the Muslims decided that the caravan should be attacked and the people of the caravan should either be taken captive or killed. Therefore, they launched an attack in the name of Allah and as a result one man of the disbelievers was killed and two were taken captive. However, the fourth individual unfortunately escaped, and the Muslims were unable to apprehend him. And in this way, their decision proved unsuccessful. Thereafter, the Muslims seized the goods of the caravan. The Muslims swiftly returned to Medina with the captives and the spoils of war. However, when the Holy Prophet found out that the companions had attacked the caravan, he was extremely displeased and said, "Ma amartukum fi haram," meaning, "I have not given you permission to fight in the sacred month." The Holy Prophet refused to accept the spoils of war. On the other hand, the Quraysh also raised a huge hue and cry that the Muslims had violated the sanctity of the sacred month. since the person who had been killed was the son of a chieftain. In actuality, he was not the son of a chieftain. Umar bin al-Hadrami was a chieftain himself. All the while, the disbelievers... Came to Medina to secure the release of their captives. However, until now, Hazrat Sa'ad bin Abi Waqas and Hazrat Utba bin Ghazwan had not returned. On their account, the Holy Prophet ﷺ greatly feared that if the Quraysh happened to seize them, they would not release them alive. Hence, for this reason, the Holy Prophet ﷺ refused to release the captives until they returned and said, When my men reach Medina safely, I will release yours. Therefore, when they both reached Medina, the Holy Prophet released both captives. However, from among these two captives, one individual was so deeply impressed during his stay in Medina that he became a Muslim and was later martyred at Bir i Ma'una. Whilst describing the circumstances prior to the commencement of the conflict on the occasion of the Battle of Badr, Hazrat Mirza Bashir Ahmed Sahib رضي Allahu writes in Seerah Qatim and Nabiyyin The Holy Prophet wasallam began to swiftly advance towards Badr and when he neared Badr, motivated by some feeling which narrations have not disclosed, the Holy Prophet wasallam seated Hazrat Abu Bakr Allahu Anhu behind himself and proceeded ahead of the Muslim army. At that time, the Holy Prophet wasallam encountered an old Bedouin from whom the Holy Prophet Sallallahu gathered during the course of conversation that the army of the Quraysh had reached very close to Badr. Upon hearing this news, the Holy Prophet Sallallahu returned and dispatched Hazrat Ali, Zubair bin al and Hazrat Saad bin Abi Waqas to gather information. When these people arrived at the valley of Badr, suddenly they noticed that a few Meccans were collecting water from a spring. These companions attacked this party, taking captive an Abyssinian slave and brought him to the Holy Prophet. Sallallahu wa then the Holy Prophet sallallahu wa gently inquired himself, At this time, where is the army positioned? He responded, On the opposite side of the hillock before you. The Holy Prophet sallallahu wa inquired, How many men are there in the army? He responded, A multitude, but I am unaware of the exact figure. The Holy Prophet ﷺ said, Alright, then tell me how many camels are slaughtered daily for consumption? Ten, he responded. The Holy Prophet ﷺ turned to the companions and said, It seems as if they are a force of one thousand men. This estimate actually turned out to be correct. I have mentioned this in detail previously. With regards to the bravery of Hazrat Saad during the Battle of Badr, there is a narration that on the occasion of the Battle of Badr, despite being on foot, Hazrat Saad was fighting with the same valour as the cavaliers. This is why Hazrat Saad was given the title of Farisul Islam, i.e. the Knight of Islam. During the Battle of Uhud, Hazrat Saad was among those few companions who remained steadfast alongside the Holy Prophet Wasallam in the moment of confusion. Hazrat the fourth IV mentioned an incident during the Battle of Uhud of Utbah bin Abi Waqas the brother of Saad bin Abi Waqas who was fighting on the side of the idolaters and who launched an assault on the Holy Prophet stating Utbah was that wretched person who launched a fierce attack upon the Holy Prophet ﷺ and broke two of his lower teeth and greatly wounded his blessed countenance. When Utbah's brother Sa'ad bin Abi Bakas, who was fighting for the Muslims, heard of this malicious act of Utbah, he was filled with a desire to exact revenge. He said The eagerness I have to kill my brother was perhaps greater than any other desire I had in my life. Whilst breaking through the ranks of the enemies, twice I went out in search of this evildoer to make him perish at my own hands and thus satisfy my heart's desire. But every time he saw me, he would avoid me similar to the evasion of a fox. The third time I wished to advance through The Holy Prophet very graciously said to me, O servant of Allah, do you desire to lay down your life? And thus I ended my pursuit in accordance with the wish of the Holy Prophet. Whilst describing the moment when there were only remained a few steadfast companions near the Holy Prophet on the occasion of the Battle of Uhud, Hazrat Mirza Bashir Ahmed Sahib has written, The Holy Prophet would hand arrows to Hazrat Saad himself, and Saad would continue to shower the enemy with arrow upon arrow. At one instance, the Holy Prophet addressed Hazrat Saad saying, May my mother and father be sacrificed upon you. Go on shooting arrows. Even to the very end of his life, Hazrat Saad would recall these words of the Holy Prophet with great pride. In one narration it is mentioned that Hazrat sa bin Abi Waqas relates, On the day of Uhud, the Holy Prophet ﷺ took out arrows from his quiver, scattered them out for me, and said, Shoot the arrows. May my parents be sacrificed for you. Hazrat Ali relates, I never heard the Holy Prophet ﷺ offer this prayer of his parents being sacrificed for anyone but Hazrat Saad bin Abi Wakas, on the occasion of the Battle of Uhud, the Holy Prophet said to Hazrat Saad, "May my parents be sacrificed for you. Continue to fire arrows, O formidable youth. Continue to fire arrows." Here it is also worth mentioning, a note has been added that in history, aside from Hazrat Saad, the name of Hazrat Zubair bin al Awam is found regarding whom the Holy Prophet said, Fidaka Abi wa Ummi, i.e. may my parents be sacrificed for you. This is a narration from Bukhari. Mentioning the incident of the Battle of Uhud, Hazrat Saad relates, On the day of Uhud, the Holy Prophet made reference to both of his parents. Saying, may they be sacrificed for him. Hazrat Saad relates that there was a man from among the idolaters who had caused trouble for the Muslims. The Holy Prophet said to him, i.e., to Hazrat Saad, Shoot arrows, may my parents be sacrificed for you. Hazrat as says, I shot one arrow that did not have an arrowhead into his side, as a result of which he died and he was left exposed. I saw that the Holy Prophet ﷺ laughed out of happiness. In another narration, this incident has been recorded in the following manner, that this idolater, whose name is mentioned as Haban in the books of history, shot an arrow that struck Hazrat Um Ayman in the lower region of her body, whilst she was occupied in providing water for the wounded. Upon this, Haban began to laugh. The Holy Prophet ﷺ gave an arrow to Hazasad, which struck the throat of Haban. He fell backwards, leaving him exposed, as a result of which the Holy Prophet ﷺ smiled. Regarding this hadith, which is from Sahih Muslim, the Noor Foundation has translated it and added an explanatory note, which is very adequate and appropriate. It states that this joy of the Holy Prophet was as a result of the favour of Allah in that he removed a dangerous enemy from the path with an arrow that did not even have an arrowhead. In one narration it is mentioned that on the day of the Battle of Uhud, Hazrat Saad fired one thousand arrows. Hazrat Saad bin Abi Waqqas was among those companions who signed as witnesses on the treaty during the Treaty of Hudaybiyah. On the occasion of the conquest of Mecca, Hazrat Saad bin Abi Waqqas held one of the three flags of the Muhajireen. Hazrat Saad fell ill on the occasion of Hajjatul Wida. Mentioning this, Hazrat Saad relates, I fell ill in Mecca." And was close to death. The Holy Prophet came to visit me. I said to him, O Messenger of Allah, I have a great abundance of wealth and only one daughter as the inheritor. Am I permitted to give two thirds away as charity? The Holy Prophet replied in the negative. I asked, May I give away half as charity? The Holy Prophet answered in the negative. I asked if I may give one third as charity. The Holy Prophet ﷺ agreed to this but said that even this was too much. Following this he said, Leaving your offspring in an affluent state is better than leaving them in poverty and for them to have to beg before people. You will be awarded for whatever you spend, so much so that you will be rewarded even for the morsel of food you give to your wife to eat. I said, O Messenger of Allah, will I be left behind in my migration? The Holy Prophet ﷺ said, even if you are left behind, your status and rank will be elevated by the deeds you will perform to seek the pleasure of Allah. I am certain that you will remain alive after my passing. He further said, so much so that some nations will benefit from you and some people will suffer loss. In another narration, it is mentioned that following this, the Holy Prophet ﷺ prayed in the following words, O Allah, Enable my companions to fulfil the purpose of their migration. And do not permit them to return unsuccessful. There is a narration in which Sa'd relates, When I fell ill, the Holy Prophet ﷺ came to visit me and asked, Have you left a will? I said yes. He asked, How much have you left? I replied, saying that all my wealth has been left in the way of Allah. The Holy Prophet ﷺ asked, what have you left for your children? I replied saying that they are all wealthy. The Holy Prophet ﷺ said, Then pledge one-tenth as your will. Hazrat Saad narrates that he continued saying this and the Holy Prophet ﷺ continued replying in the same manner. i.e. Hazrat Saad wished to give a greater amount in charity while the Holy Prophet ﷺ was advising to give less to the extent that he said to decrease it to one-third and even that was a substantial amount. In any case, those who have knowledge of this and those in the field of jurisprudence have deduced from this narration that no more than one third of one's wealth can be given away as part of one's will. Regarding this matter, as a Muslim states, Ahadith also support the fact that distributing the remaining wealth after fulfilling one's expenses is not an Islamic injunction. Thus, the Holy Prophet ﷺ said, <laughs> Meaning, some of you bring all their wealth and donate it for charity, but then go around begging from others. Charity ought to be given on excess wealth. Similarly, the Holy Prophet ﷺ said, إِنْ تَذْحَرُوا وَرَثَتَكَ أَغْنِيَاءَ خَيْرٌ مِنْ أَنْتَظَرَهُمْ حَلَةً يَتَكَفَّفُونَ النَّاسَ i.e. it is better for you to leave your heirs in an affluent state rather than leaving them destitute, so they are not left in a state where they have to go around begging from others. Similarly, it is narrated in the Hadith that Hazrat sa bin Abi Waqas sought permission to distribute two-thirds of his wealth, but the Holy Prophet ﷺ forbade it. He sought to distribute half, but the Holy Prophet ﷺ stopped him from that as well. Then he sought permission to distribute a third of his wealth, upon which the Holy Prophet ﷺ granted permission, saying, you can give a third, though even a third is a large amount. Thus, the notion that Islam commands any wealth which exceeds one's needs ought to be distributed is completely against Islam and is contrary to the practice of the companions. Because according to the practice of the companions, there were some who bequeathed tens of thousands of rupees as part of their inheritance at the time of their demise. It is stated in one narration that Hazrat Saad bin Abi Waqas relates, When I fell ill in Makkah, the Holy Prophet ﷺ came to visit me When he placed his hand on my chest, I felt the coolness of his hand upon my heart. Placing his hand, he said, You have an ailment of the heart. Go to Harith bin Kalada, the brother of Banu Thaqif. He is a physician. Tell him to take seven ajwa dates from Medina and crush them along with their pits and give it to you to drink as a medicine. It is stated in one narration that the Holy Prophet ﷺ appointed a specific person in Makkah to tend to Hazrat sa and stressed the fact that if Hazrat sa passed away in Makkah, he should not be buried there, but instead he should be brought to Medina to be buried. Hazrat Muslim Maud relates an incident of Hazrat Saad regarding hunting. The Holy Prophet sallam, would not hunt himself. Rather, it is proven from a hadith that he would have others hunt for him. Thus, during one expedition, he called Hazrat Saad bin Abi Waqas and said, Look, there is a deer. Shoot it with an arrow. When he was about to shoot the arrow, the Holy Prophet sallam, lovingly placed his chin on Hazrat Saad's shoulder and said, O Allah, make his aim flawless. Allah the Almighty enabled Hazrat sa bin Abi Waqas the honor of conquering Iraq. Once during the Battle of Khandak, the companions went to the Holy Prophet ﷺ and said that there was a boulder in the ditch which would not break. The Holy Prophet ﷺ went and struck the boulder thrice with a pickaxe and with every blow the boulder crumbled slightly. The Holy Prophet ﷺ proclaimed Allahu Akbar i.e. Allah is the greatest in a loud voice and the companions also followed in raising the slogan. During this incident, while striking one of the blows, the Holy Prophet ﷺ said, I have been shown the white castles of Madain falling. What he saw was fulfilled at the hands of Hazrat Saad. There were two great powers in the surroundings of Arabia. One was that of the Chauceroyce and the other was of Caesar. Much of Iraq was under the control of the Chosroys, and his royal palaces were situated in Madain. The famous battles of Madain, Qadsia, Nahawand and Jalula were fought under the leadership of Hazrat Saad bin Abi Wakas. The background to Madain is that it is located by the Tigris River, a little south of Baghdad in Iraq. Since many cities were established here one after the other, the Arabs gave it the name of Mada'in, meaning a city consisting of many cities. Qadsiyah was also a city in Iraq where a famous battle was fought between the Muslims and the Persians, known as the Battle of Qadsiyah. Present-day Qadsiyah is located 15 miles from Kufa. Nahavand is a city located in present-day Iran and is 70 kilometers south of Hamadan, the capital of the region. Jalula is a city in present-day Iraq, which is located near the eastern corner of the Tigris River. A battle between the Muslims and the Persians was fought here. It was named Jalula because the city became filled with the bodies of Iranians. In Iraq, during the Caliphate of Hazrat Abu Bakr, Hazrat Musanna bin Haritha sought permission to attack as the Persians constantly caused trouble on the border. Hazrat Abu Bakr granted permission and sent a large army with Hazrat Khalid bin Walid to assist. When Hazrat Abu Ubaidah submitted to Hazrat Abu Bakr for reinforcements in Syria, Hazrat Abu Bakr sent Hazrat Khalid to help him and Hazrat Khalid bin Walid appointed Hazrat Musanna to deputize in Iraq. However, as soon as Hazrat Khalid left Iraq, the campaign lost momentum. When Hazrat Amr became the caliph, he returned attention towards the campaign in Iraq. Hazrat Musanna had consecutively rendered defeat to enemies in Bawaib and other battles and taken hold of a large expanse of land in Iraq. At the time, Iraq was under the control of the Chaucerys. When the Persians saw the strength of the Muslims in battle and their consecutive victories, it opened their eyes. They replaced their queen, Buran Dukht, with Yazd the true heir of the Chaucerys. Upon ascending the throne, he immediately united all the powers of the Iranian Empire, and kindled a fire of fury and revenge in the entire nation against Muslims. Under these circumstances, Hazrat Musanna was forced to leave the Arabian border. When Hazrat Umar became to know of these incidents, he sent emissaries throughout Arabia who delivered passionate addresses calling on the Muslims to take stand against the Chosroys. The result was that it stirred emotions in Arabia and resulted in people hearkening from all directions, ready to present themselves for the sake of Islam, with their lives in the palms of their hands, flocking to the royal court of the Caliphate. Hazrat Umar sought counsel as to who should be appointed to lead this expedition. Upon the suggestions of the people, Hazrat Umar radiallahu anhu prepared to lead it himself. However, Hazrat Ali and other prominent companions were against this. Subsequently, Hazrat Sayyid bin Zaid's name was proposed. But in that very instance, Hazrat Abdul Rahman bin Of stood up and said, O leader of the faithful, I know just the individual for this expedition. Hazrat Umar radiAllahu anhu inquired who it was, and Hazrat Abdul Rahman bin Auf proposed the name of Hazrat Saad bin Abi Waqqas. Upon this, everyone agreed with the proposal of Hazrat Saad bin Abi Waqqas. Regarding Hazrat Saad, Hazrat Umar stated, إِنَّهُ رَجُلٌ شُجَاعٌ raun," Meaning, he is a brave and fearless man and an excellent archer. Hazrat Musanna was waiting for Hazrat Saad along with 8,000 brave soldiers at Zikar, which is a place situated between Kufa and Wasat. But during this time, he passed away. Prior to his demise, he had appointed his brother Hazrat Munna as the commander of the army. According to the instructions he had received, Hazrat Munna met Hazrat Saad and conveyed to him the message of Hazrat Musanna. Hazrat Saad took an assessment of the strength of his army, which consisted of approximately 30,000 soldiers. Hazrat Saad organized the army by dividing them under each flank and also appointed an officer for both. They then proceeded ahead and besieged Garcia The battle of Garcia took place towards the end of 16 Hijri. The disbelievers numbered approximately 280,000 and also had 30 elephants and the Iranian army was under the command of Rustam. Hazrat Saad invited the disbelievers to Islam and for this he sent Hazrat Mughira bin Shu'ba in response to this. Rustam stated that the Muslims were enduring hardship and they were only doing this in order to alleviate their condition. Therefore he said he would grant them provisions in such abundance that it will be plentiful for them. Hazrat Mughira re- replied that they had answered the call of God's Messenger and were inviting them to profess belief in the one God and His Prophet wasallam. If they were to accept this invitation, then it would be better for them. Otherwise, the matter between them would be settled by the sword, i.e. battle. It was they who instigated the battle. The Muslims, on the other hand, did not want to fight and in fact called them towards Islam. But since they insisted on fighting, Hence, the Muslims said, in that case, the matter would be settled by the sword. Upon hearing this, Rustam became enraged, and since he was an idolater, he said, I swear by the sun and the moon, before the light of day, we shall begin the battle and will destroy all of you. Hazrat Mughira replied, La hawla wa la illa billah, meaning Allah alone is a source of all power. After saying this, he mounted his horse. Hazrat Saad had received instructions from Hazrat Umar that they were to first invite them to Islam. Therefore, Hazrat Saad sent a delegation which included the famous poet and cavalier Hazrat Amr bin Madi Qarb and Hazrat Ash'ath bin Qais Kindi. When they saw Rustam, he inquired where they were going, to which they replied that they were going to meet with his king. Thereafter, this detailed conversation took place between the two. The members of the delegation stated that the Holy Prophet ﷺ had promised them that they would be granted control of his land. In reply, Rustam asked for a basket full of dirt and said, Here you go, you can place our land on top of your head. Hazrat Amr bin Mahdi Qarb quickly stood up and placed a basket of dirt in his sack and stated that this was to serve as a sign to indicate that they will indeed take control of the land. Thereafter they went to the royal court of the king of Iran and conveyed to him the message of Islam. The king became enraged and ordered them to leave his royal court and also stated that had they not come as emissaries he would have them killed. He then ordered Rustam to teach them a lesson they would never forget. It was a Thursday after the Asr prayer when the battle commenced. Hazrat Saad raised the slogan of Allah Akbar three times and upon reciting this for the fourth time the battle began. Hazrat Saad was unwell at the time and sat on an elevated secure post directing his forces. Hazrat Muslim Maud who has also narrated this incident as follows. During the time of Hazrat Umar, Yazdgert, the grandson of Khosrow Parvez, ascended to the throne and began to make extensive preparations to fight against the Muslims. In response to this, Hazrat Umar radiAllahu Anhu sent an army under the command of Hazrat Saad bin Abi Wakas. Hazrat Saad chose Qadzia as the location for the battle, and also sent a map of the area to Hazrat Umar. Hazrat Umar expressed his approval of the location, but along with this, instructed that it was his duty to first send a delegation to the King of Iran and invite him to accept Islam. And so upon receiving this instruction, he sent a delegation to meet Yazdgert. When this delegation arrived at the royal court of the king of Iran, he asked his translator to inquire why they had come. When he asked them this question, Hazrat Numan bin Mukarran, who was the leader of the delegation, stood up and after mentioning about the advent of the Holy Prophet wasallam, he said, the Holy Prophet ﷺ has commanded us to spread the message of Islam and invite the entire world to the true faith. In accordance to this commandment, we are here before you and invite you to Islam. Yazdgud became infuriated at this reply of his and said, You are a nation that are like wild beasts and who eat the flesh of the dead. If it is owing to hunger and scarcity or provisions that has compelled you to fight, then I am willing to grant all of you with enough provisions of food and drink that you will be able to comfortably live the rest of your lives, even though he was the one to instigate the fighting, but yet was leveling the accusation against the Muslims. In any case, he further stated, I shall also provide you with clothes, and you can take all of these provisions and return to your country. Furthermore, withdraw your men who are protecting your borders, and allow me to continue expanding my territory as I please. Why would you endanger your lives by engaging in battle with us? When he finished saying what he had to say, Hazrat Mughira stood up on behalf of the Muslim delegation and said, Whatever you had said about us is absolutely true. Indeed, we were a nation like wild beasts and would eat the flesh of the dead. We would even eat snakes, scorpions, locusts and lizards. However, Allah the Almighty bestowed his blessings upon us and sent his Messenger wasallam) to guide us. We accepted him and acted in accordance to what he said, and as a result, a revolutionary change has taken place within us. Thus, those ills which you have spoken of no longer remain in us, and we are not going to be tempted by anything you offer. The battle between you and us has now commenced, and the matter will be settled in the battlefield. The temptation of offering worldly wealth and material cannot deter us from our objective. When Yastir heard this, he became extremely angry and told one of his servants to go and bring a sack of soil. When the sack of soil arrived, he called the leader of the Muslim delegation to step forward and said that since they had rejected this offer, therefore they would receive nothing except for a sack of dirt. The companion earnestly stepped forward and lowered his head and had the sack of soil placed on his back. He then sharply stood up and they all swiftly made their way out from the royal court. Whilst departing from there, he loudly said to the fellow member of delegation, Today the king of Iran has handed us the soil of his land with his own hands. They then mounted their horses and raced off. When the king heard this, he was shocked, and ordered the servants of his royal court to go after them and bring back the sack of dirt, because by giving them the soil of his land with his own hands was a bad omen. However, by then they had traveled far off into the distance. In the end, it turned out exactly as they said, and within a few years, Iran came under the Muslim rule. How did this extraordinary change come about within the Muslims? This is because the Quranic teachings brought about a revolutionary change in their morals and conduct. It brought an end to to their lowly way of life and instead elevated them to possess the most excellent morals and character as a result of this they were able to spread the message of Islam to the world and by following the teachings of Islam they were able to convert others as well to become true Muslims they never overawed by any kind of fear, danger or power there are some accounts from the life of Hazrat Saad bin Abi Waqas which I shall narrate, inshallah in the future sermon. I will lead some funeral prayers in absentia today as well. The first funeral is of respected Bushra Akram Saiba, wife of Muhammad Akram Bajwa Sahib, who is serving as Nazir Talimul Quran and waqf arzi in Pakistan. She passed away on 25th of March 2020 at the age of 66. Surely to Allah we belong and to Him shall we return. Due to the current circumstances, I was not able to lead the funeral prayer at the time. The deceased was a musia. She leaves behind two sons and one daughter. Bushra Akram Sahiba spent 15 years in Liberia with her husband, respected Muhammad Akram Bajwa Sahib. During this time, she had the opportunity to serve as a Sadatullah in Liberia. During the war in Liberia, she stayed with her husband and children for 15 days in the army barracks whilst under detention. Muhammad Akram Bajo Sahib writes, Bushra Saiba spent 37 years with a life devotee, i.e. with Akram Sahib, whilst demonstrating the utmost sincerity, patience and loyalty. Particularly when I was appointed in Liberia as a missionary and was serving as the Emir." For a period of 23 years of our stay there, she assisted me in works of tabligh and terbiyat. She would also help serve the guests and also assist me in other jama'at matters as well and also had the opportunity to serve as Sadr Lajna Imailah of Liberia. During the 15 years she spent in Liberia, she suffered from malaria, typhoid on numerous occasions. But despite this, she exhibited utmost patience and proved to be a faithful companion. She provided her children with excellent moral training based on the principles of faith. By the grace of Allah, her children are very loyal and attached to the Jama'at. Mansur Nasir Sahib, who is a life devotee and is serving as a principal of Shurda School, writes, Continuously for three years while I was serving in Liberia on my own, I was accommodated in their own home and afforded with great hospitality and they took care of me like one of her own children or a younger brother. May Allah the Almighty enable her children to become the recipient of her prayers and also enable them to continue her good deeds. May He grant her forgiveness and mercy. That the second funeral is of Iqbal Ahmed Nasser Sahib Pirkoti of District of Khairpur. He passed away on 14th of July 2020 at the age of 82. Surely to Allah we belong and to him shall we return. His son Akbar Ahmed Tahir Sahib is currently serving as a missionary in Burkina Faso. He writes, Iqbal Ahmed Nasser Sahib was a son of respected Mianur Muhammad Rafiq Sahib who was a companion of the Promised Messiah. He was the paternal grandson of Mia Imamuddin, who was also a companion of the Promised Messiah. And he was the nephew of Mia Bir Muhammad Sahib and respected Hafiz Muhammad Ishaq Sahib, who were also companions of the Promised Messiah. He would always actively take part in all Jamaat activities and for a long time served as the finance secretary. He also had the opportunity to serve as Zaym for Insarullah, salat, Mrabbi Atfal, etc. He further writes, Right from my childhood, I observed that he would put some money aside in a box. When he asked about this, he said that he puts his chanda money aside separately so that he can present his chanda on time. He would carry out the ble with great passion and enthusiasm and he became the means of many blessed souls joining the Jamaat. He was devoted to prayers, regular in his salat and fasting, and offering the tahajat prayer. Upon me continuously insisting him, he became to Burkina Faso in 2016, and during his time here, he attended all the various jalsas and gatherings of the Jamaat. He would passionately raise slogans in order to motivate the attendees, and also seek the contentment of his heart, because for a long time there have been no jealous of the Jamaat in Pakistan. Thus this was a desire that always remained in his heart. He leaves behind his wife, Bashira Begum Saiba, three daughters and three sons. The Emir, missionary in charge of Burkina Faso writes, Although in the beginning, when he came here, he had difficulty with the language, as French has spoken in Burkina Faso. However, people were able to understand him owing to the love he showed everyone. He would greet people with so much love that whoever met him would hold him in high regard. Even the local people here spoke very highly of him at his demise. He further writes, After the deceased passed away, Bapina Sahib, our National Secretary Ishaad, shared his picture and wrote that he met him during his stay in Burkina Faso and found him to be a truly amazing Ahmadi. May Allah the Almighty shower his forgiveness and mercy on him and enable his children to become the recipients of his prayers. His son, who is a missionary serving there, was unable to attend the funeral. The third funeral is of Ghulam Fatima Famida Sahiba, who is the wife of Muhammad Ibrahim Sahib of Mulia Jatan in the district of Kortli, Azad Kashmir. She passed away at the age of 72 on 18th of July 2020 after a lengthy illness. Verily to Allah we belong and to Him shall we return. In 1944, her father performed the bath. His name was Naik Muhammad but was commonly known as Kali Khan. Prior to performing the Bait, he saw in a dream that he was going to meet a saintly gentleman. When he saw the saintly man, he ran to him and embraced him. The saintly man said to him, Kale Khan, when are you coming over to us? Kale Khan sighed replied, I am already here. When later he saw the picture of Hazrat Khalip the of II, he recognized him and said that he was the man he had seen in his dream. Subsequently he wrote a letter in order to perform the Bait. After performing the Bait, his wife said that she also wished to perform the Bait and thereafter she too performed the Bait. Both husband and wife were very sincere, as were their children and the character of the late Fahmida Fatma sahiba was a reflection of their moral training. She was regular in her five daily prayers, offering the Dhajit prayers and reciting the Holy Quran. Her children often saw her awake in the nights offering fervent supplications before God Almighty. When women were permitted to attend the Friday prayers, she would go to the mosque one hour before the Friday prayers in order to offer voluntary prayers and offer supplications. She was very courageous and patient. Her husband was kidnapped on two occasions in 1965 and 1971 war. On the first instance, for a long time, there was no news whether her husband was alive. It was thought that he had been martyred and his funeral prayer in absentia was also offered. Despite this, she was convinced that he was alive and that he would certainly return. Subsequently, Allah the Almighty bestowed His grace and her husband returned after being freed. Aside from her husband, respected Muhammad Ibrahim Sahib, the deceased is survived by four sons and two daughters. Three sons are life devotees. Muhammad Javed Sahib is serving as a missionary in Zambia and was unable to go to Pakistan on his mother's demise. May Allah the Almighty shower his forgiveness and mercy on the deceased and may he enable her children to continue her virtuous deeds. The next funeral is of respected Muhammad Ahmed Anwar Sahib Edherabadi who passed away on 22nd of May at the age of 94. Verily to Allah we belong and to him shall we return. Ahmadiyyad entered his family through his grandfather, Sheikh Dawud Ahmed Sahib. In the early years, Muhammad Ahmed Anwar Sahib's father sent him and his brother, Majid Ahmed Sahib, for studies to Qadian. He also had the good fortune of giving the azan from the minaret of in Kardian. From the outset, Muhammad Ahmed Saib remained in the company of Hazrat the 2nd of the After the partition, he came to Rabwa with Hazrat the 2nd of the He also served as a driver for Hazukulitunsi the 3rd rahimahullah. He later completed his education, first attaining a diploma in physical education and then an MA in Urdu and Islamiyat. After completing his graduation, he served in Talimul islam College for a long time. From 1973 to 1976, he dedicated himself and went to the Gambia. From 1978 to 1986, he taught Islamic studies in a girls' college in Nigeria. In 1988, he migrated from Pakistan to Germany, and in 2009, he moved to the UK and settled here. The deceased has four sons and two daughters, all of whom are married. He served as a naib sadr of the Qazar board in Germany and also served as a naib auditor for Germany Jamaat. His daughter, Amatul Majid Saiba, says My father was highly devoted to his prayers. He considered Salat, Quran, fasting, and serving Khilafat as the sole purpose of his life and would advise us of the same. May Allah the Almighty shower his mercy and forgiveness on the deceased. (coughs) The last funeral is of respected Salim Hassan al-Jabi Sahib of Syria. He passed away on 30th of June at the age of 92. Verily to Allah we belong and to him shall we return. His daughter Lubna al-Jabi Sahib and granddaughter Hiba al-Jabi Sahib who is the wife of Dr. Bilal Ahmadair Sahib, both reside here in the UK. She writes, Salim al-Jabi Sahib was born in the suburbs of Damascus in
2: 1928.
1: Salim al-Jabi Sahib was introduced to Ahmadiyyat at the age of 18 through respected Abu Zahab Sahib, a modest Ahmadi farmer. Upon this, al-Jabi Sahib prayed, and in a dream he saw that he was performing the Baid of the Promised Messiah, Subsequently, Abu Zahab Sahib gave him the Arabic translation of the philosophy of the teachings of Islam. Seeing the picture of the promise of Sayyid islam he went to the Emir of Syria at the time, Munir al-Husni Sahib, and performed the bet. He faced severe opposition from his father and relatives, yet al-Jabi Sahib remained steadfast. He then had the opportunity to go to Pakistan, during the Khilafat of Hazrat Khalifa II, the he spent six years in Rabwa in the company of Hazrat Muslim Maud. He gained religious knowledge and also learned the Urdu language. On the instructions of Hazrat Muslim Maud, he married in Pakistan and Hazrat Muslim led his nikah. His wife was Pakistani. His granddaughter Hiba Al Jabi Saiba writes, Our grandfather would always advise us and take time out for our education and moral upbringing. He would emphasize the importance of spiritual advancement and remaining attached to Khilafat. His wife passed away a few years ago. He has six children. One of the children, Dr. Naim al-Jabi Sahib, was kidnapped a few years ago and until now there is no information about his whereabouts. Wasim al-Jabi, the father of Hiba al-Jabi, is a member of the Jamaat and is living in Poland. Similarly, two daughters and two sons are in Syria. Hiba Al Jabi Saiba helps in the Jamaat here and gives good advice especially in relation to translations of books. She also helps her husband Bilal Tahir in his translation work. May Allah the Almighty increase her in her sincerity and loyalty and also increase her knowledge. His daughter, Lubna Abdul Khabir Al-Jabi, writes, Our father would stop us from following wrongful customs and innovations. He would advise us to forge a connection with Allah the Almighty and to perform tabli. He would spend generously on the poor. Many families in Lebanon and Syria performed the bath owing to Al-Jabi Sahib, including some Christians, as well. She further writes, The last advice he gave to us was to always remain firmly attached to Khilafat and always act on the advice imparted by the Khalifa of the time do not show in negligence in matters of the tabliq, offer supplications for everything and never worry about any injustice received in the way of the truth. Umar Al-Aman Sahib, the National President of Lebanon Jamaat, writes, Prior to accepting Ahmadiyyat, we would read the books of Salim al-Jabi Sahib, which contained signs of the advent of the Imam of the Age and his blessed Jamaat. When we had read these books, He would tell us in detail about the Promised Messiah and about his Jamaat. He would then instruct us that we must perform the Bayt. This was his own unique style. It is not necessary that this would be applicable in every situation. Nonetheless, he performed the bleak in this manner and owing to his preaching endeavors, many people accepted Ahmadiyyat. He would then advise them to leave his books and instead read the books of the Promised Messiah, the Khulafa and the books of the Jamaat. He further writes, As the pioneer Ahmadis in Lebanon, we performed the bed due to Al-Jabi Sahib. We acknowledge this favour upon us and are thankful to him and offer prayers for him. Mu'taz al Sahib, who is Syrian but is currently residing in Canada, writes, When I was a local president of a Jamaat in Syria, I had the opportunity to meet Al-Jabi Sahib on many occasions. Whenever Khilafat was being discussed, he would always say that he would like to depart this world in the company of Khilafat. Miranjan Praveh Sahib, who is a missionary and serving here in the Arabic desk, writes, Whenever he would receive a directive from the Khalifa, he would demonstrate complete obedience. He would openly say that he would obey every command issued by the Nizam e jamaat In 2011, he came to the UK from Syria to attend the Jalsa Salana. He would say that there was no greater honor for him than to depart this world in the company of Khilafat. Many people accepted Ahmadiyya due to Al-Jabi Sahib and the majority of them are loyal to the Jamaat and Khilafat. Many people have written letters to me stating that they learnt a lot from Al-Jabi Sahib and accepted Ahmadiyya because of him. Al-Jabi Sahib would say, Hazrat Mulana Ghulam Rasul Rajiki Sahib said to me, that I ought to translate his book, hayat e so that the Arab people would become acquainted with how the companions of the promised Messiah a.s. were. Thus he translated hayat e in Arabic. Arabic was his mother tongue, but aside from this he spoke Urdu to a good level and also Persian. He could also speak English to a basic level. In 2005, when I went to Qadian, he met me in the mulakat, which was very brief, but he met me with great humility. He then met me in the UK at Delta Solana and said with great humility, I have complete conviction in the truthfulness of Khilafat Ahmadiyyat. I am fully obedient to Khilafat and have the utmost regard for it. Please pray for me that I always remain firmly attached to Nizam-e-Jamaat. May Allah the Almighty enable His children and His progeny to remain ever loyal to Khilafat and remain attached to it. May Allah shower His mercy and forgiveness on him. After the Friday prayers as mentioned before or perhaps I did not mention it earlier I will nonetheless lead the funeral prayer in absentia of all the deceased members.
0: Alhamdulillah, لله nāhmadu wa نحمد wa ونستغفر wa به wa natawakkalu wa min anfusina wa min sayyāti وموحي يدلنا فالاهدنا ونشهد الله اله الا الله ونشهد I am وينهى one who is the